Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can gather in your name this morning, and because of what you have done for us, we have a reason to gather, to worship together, to encourage one another, and a reason to live a purpose for life. We pray that you would again uh, just reveal yourself to us through your word as it is preached, and may you bless Brother Mel as he brings this message. May you give him a clear mind and words to speak so we could be encouraged and edified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, greetings in Jesus' name and welcome each one of you, especially those who are here on behalf of Kevin and Linda. It's good to have you here. It means a lot to them, and I'm sure it means a lot to us as well. This is a special service, again, uh, a baptismal service, and we always look forward to that. It's always a special time for all of us. It was just this past June when we had a service, and I would, uh, was called on to preach for that sermon as well. This morning, I, I have sort of decided to kind of do this as a sequel or something beyond baptism, like what's next? Where do we go from here? Uh, what is God's plan for me? What does God have in store for me, or what am I expected uh, to do from here? So I'd like to, uh, for an opening, invite your attention to a text in Isaiah chapter 43. I'm going to read a couple of verses from here. Isaiah 43 is, uh, this is the prophet speaking through God to Israel. And Israel, as you know, did not always have a very good track record for obedience to God's law. So they, they, they came and went throughout the ages. And this is again uh, God's promises to them in spite of their disobedience. Let's read Isaiah 43, beginning with verse 1, read to the end of verse 7. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia, and Seba for thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Even every one that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. So this is a wonderful promise that God gave to Israel and to all of us as well. You see there in verse 7, it's not just limited to them, but to all of those who call on, on his name. And when we think of, when we think of baptism, as, as I mentioned the last time, there's uh, many types of washings and cleansings that were part of the Old Testament law. They were required to do through various occasions and regular intervals throughout the year. But then God, through the Holy Spirit, took that word baptized 
to a whole new level and prescribe some new uses for the word. Uh, like the Old Testament washings and cleansings, it also denotes washing and cleansing. <clears throat> Water baptism typifies remission of sins and a spiritual cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives. So as we, as we think of this, uh, I'd like to, as I said, go on from here, sort of a, a, a sequel. Where do we go from here? What does God have for us? What does God have in mind for us after we are, uh, after baptism? Um, we will hear a public acknowledgement and statement from, uh, from them today, and we look forward to that and certainly wish them God's blessing in that. Um, there's a uh, Second Peter verse, 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Certainly that is God's uh, focal point, his plan for all of us, that we would come to repentance. And as we mentioned um, last time, requirements for water baptism is faith, repentance, and conversion. And certainly we have, we have evidence and seen that in, in Kevin and Linda's life and want to bless you in that. But when you think of God's plan for me, maybe a good question to ask or a good point to think about is to understand God's will for my life. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for your life? Is it something that we can be sure of? Do we have some clear direction in Scripture for that? That's a question that many of us are faced with from time to time. And I think the answer is yes. We do have some clear direction in the Bible, in God's Word, for that. What for God's will for your life? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll look into that. We have some very clear direction as to God's will for our lives. Ephesians chapter 5 is the Apostle Paul writing to the churches at Ephesus. And there's a lot of instructions here for, uh, for all of us. But let's begin reading. We're going to cut right into the middle of this chapter in Ephesians 5. I'd like to start reading in, in verse 15. And we'll read to the end of verse 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So there we have sort of a general will, uh, a, a picture of God's will for your life. I notice that, that word there in verse uh, 15, see then you walk circumspectly. That's the only time that word is used here it's, it's a Greek word, but it's the only time that it's translated as circumspectly. It's not a very common word, not something that we would use too often in our everyday language. But it has the idea of meaning exact and accurate. 
and also diligently so that we are to walk accurately and exactly and diligently. You get the picture of, of a carefulness, something that is uh, done carefully. And he makes a contrast of a foolish person with a wise person. Again, implying that those who walk circumspectly are wise, which they are. So we have three points here that I like to that I like to look at as we think of of um, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Um, we have the, the the he he goes on there to be filled with the Spirit. Now this is a term that we see quite a bit in Scripture. It has the idea of being under the influence of or being controlled by. Something that controls our mind, will, and emotions. And they need to be constantly controlled by the Holy Spirit. If a person is filled with the Spirit, he certainly will display the fruit of the Spirit as we have in Galatians 5. And um, the end of that chapter, I'm not going to get into that. But we have at the end of Galatians chapter 5 the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Number one I like to look at is to be joyful. Be joyful. And I know, I think it was just last Sunday, Marvin talked about talking to ourselves or speaking to yourself. Self-talk. And uh, I forget exactly what I said about it, but there are some, certainly some good points about that. But here you go, Marvin, got some good support to that. Right here, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, there's a lot of, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said about that because that will bring joy. You will radiate a joyful uh, spirit or attitude if you can somehow keep a, a, a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song in your heart, or sing it to yourself, and it it it, it's, it talks about that, um, making melody in your heart to the Lord, um, being joyful. Uh, you know, joy is one of the fruits of the spirit, and it does certainly make a person a lot more pleasant to be around if they are joyful in that way, <clears throat> and especially if a person has uh, a, a, a joyful song on their heart. Another we see in verse 20, be thankful. He talks about giving thanks. You know, an ungrateful spirit is a form of idolatry. When you think no one is worthy of your thanks, no one is worthy of your appreciation. Being grateful means that something did, someone did something for you or gave you something. So, that's what it means to be grateful or thankful. And this is what went wrong in that picture that we see in Romans chapter 1. Let's turn to Romans 1, and we're going to see where that leads. Romans 1, we have sort of a sad picture starting right here in verse, uh, I think I'm going to start reading there in verse 20. And read a couple of verses. I'm not going to read to the end of the chapter. But if you, if you get a chance, read that chapter for yourself. And you'll see where 
unthankfulness leads to. Let's begin reading verse 20. For the invisible things of God, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world were clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Notice that. They knew God, glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and forfeited beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their own hearts, who dishonor their own bodies between themselves, and who change the truth of God into a lie, and on and on and on. It just, from there, gets bad quickly. But notice where it starts in verse 21. They glorified not God for who he was, neither were thankful. You see the connection between this and idolatry. Self-worshipping. Refusing to glorify God, but instead worshiping and honoring self. <clears throat> James 1.17 is, is, uh, talks about um, uh, being, God being the giver of every good and perfect gift. A thankful heart is a humble heart. A heart that acknowledges God as being the giver of every good and perfect gift. You know, when we complain and focus on only on ourselves, Satan gets a foothold and he moves in. But thanksgiving defeats the devil and glorifies God. You know, the word gratitude comes from the same root word as grace. If we experience the grace of God, we also need to be thankful for what God brings into our lives. So, God's will for your life. Understanding God's will for your life is to be thankful or to be joyful, be thankful. And the third one is right there in, I lost my, turn back to Ephesians again. Um, Okay, verse 21, submitting, submitting yourselves one to another or to be submissive one to another. Now, there is a lot of, there are a lot of references in Scripture that, that exhort us, admonish us to do this, to be submissive one to another. And Paul, in the, in the rest of the chapter, he applies this principle to husbands and wives, to parents and children, to masters and servants. But he starts with the admission to, to, to submit one to another in the fear of God. John, St. John, speaks much of this in, in the, the book just before Relations about our love for our brother and sister. You know, if we cannot love our brother or sister, we certainly will have difficulty submitting one to another. Jesus taught a very valuable lesson to his disciples when he submitted to them by washing their feet. Jesus was their Lord and Master, and he acknowledged that, and they knew that. And yet, he washed their feet. And that was quite an example, quite uh, 
uh, very convicting to them as they realized none of them really wanted to do that and they all kind of pushed it back and, and hoped somebody else would do it and of course no one did. Jesus took the, took the initiative and did it. He said, Verily, verily I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. This is what's meant by the brotherhood as we see here in the fear of God. Certainly, um, we are all on one level at the foot of the cross. Uh, God does not necessarily give us any higher position based on our responsibilities. We are given gifts and talents by him to be used to serve one another and for his glory. Several other verses I'd like to look at in thinking of of submitting one to another. And there's, there's quite a few. First Peter 5, 5. Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the old elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Again, thinking of the humble heart, and the ability and willingness to submit one to another. Galatians 5, 13. For brethren, we have been called unto liberty, only use not your liberty, for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And there's many others. I actually found quite a list. Philippians 2, 3, 1 Peter 3, 8, 1 Peter 4, 10, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, Romans 12, 10, just to mention a few. I think there's, there's a reason why we see that quite a bit in Scripture. The uh, example, or the, uh, yeah, the admonition to Submit to one another to serve one another. Again, uh, thinking of right here, in the fear of God. So as we think of God's plan for me, God's plan for you, for all of us from here, where do we go? I think uh, certainly that's uh, understanding what the will of God is for our lives. And I think, and certainly this, this applies to all of us. This is something that all of us need to uh, be aware of and follow after. Another thing I'd like to look at now, going beyond our church, if you will, beyond right here, I'd like to think of the idea of being salt and light. This is now moving out from beyond the church doors. Um, turn with me in chapter in, in Matthew chapter five. Read a couple of verses that are, as it relates to that. I would suppose some of you have seen as I have somewhere, I forget where it was, there's a sign above the church door as you exit says, you are now entering the mission field. And I guess this is where I'd like to think of us here. As you leave this building, the church, this brotherhood, you're now going out into the world and Jesus, in this uh, Sermon on the Mount part here, talked about being salt and light. Let's read Matthew 5, starting verse 13. We'll read to the end of verse 16. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is sense for its good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. <clears throat> Jesus starts off by saying, ye are the salt of the earth. 
you are. You're not given a choice. That's what you are. What does salt do? What is salt? Okay, it's sodium chloride, whatever that means to us. But we know salt as being uh, 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 something that flavors food. It's also a preservative, uh, as bacteria cannot thrive in the presence of high amounts of salt. The human body also requires a small, small amount of sodium to conduct nerve impulses, contract and relax muscles, and maintain the proper balance of water and minerals. So there you have just a bit of a crash course on salt. But as I said, Jesus tells us, ye are the salt of the earth. And he goes on to say, if the salt has lost its, its saltiness, how will the earth be salted? And, and uh, I think he may have had reference to some of the salt in the, in the Dead Sea area that may have been contaminated. It wasn't pure, it had other minerals mixed in, and it wasn't worth much as a, uh, as a seasoning. It was more typically used, like he says here, to be trodden under the foot of men, where they put it on the, the, the walkways just to keep down vegetation. And we know salt does that. If you spread salt in your grass, it'll kill that grass. It'll kill that little patch of grass. Salt does that. Um, I just had to think, thinking of salt in, of, of us, us being salt to the earth, how well are we doing in preserving the earth? Does our presence in the public preserve purity, integrity, or morality? I think that's the, that's the picture that Jesus had for us. Our presence should preserve integrity, purity, and morality. Ye are the salt of the earth. Also light. He says, we're the light of the world. Again, we're not given a choice. We're not given an option. That's who we are. What is light? Besides the absence of darkness, there's a technical term. It's electromagnetic radiation that can be detected by the human eye. That's what light is. But he talks about a candle here. Neither do men light a candle. Now, I had to wonder, why did Jesus use a candle for this picture. We're, out, we're actually supposed to, to, to uh, light the world with a candle. You know how little light a candle gives? How many use a candle when you really need artificial light? You never use candles. Maybe for the ambience or whatever. But candles is about the lowliest form of light that we have in our day. And even in their day, they had a lot more than candles. You'll notice in... They had, uh, they had bright lights of their day. In, in John 18, when Judas brought the uh, temple police to arrest Jesus, it says they brought torches and lanterns. And I gather they were a lot brighter than a candle. So they did have other brighter technology in their day than candles. And of course, in our day, we have the modern LED technology that's Really great, bright lights with very low energy, uh, low heat output, long life. And, but that's not what Jesus said. He, he talks about using your light as a candle. But I'd like to look beyond this and think too of, of, of us reflecting the light of Jesus. Jesus also said that 
that uh, he's the light of the world. I'm going to turn to John 8 and just make a few comments from that when Jesus... Yeah, John 8, verse, um, verse, verse uh, 12. Uh, just a bit of a setting here. The beginning of the chapter, we have the scene where scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman taken in adultery, there in verse 3. And they were doing this to test him. They wanted to see what he would do, how he would respond to this. And... Uh, of course, they had uh, some very issues to deal with, and I'm not sure if, if, if what, what their motive was, except just to test Jesus at this woman's expense. And uh, verse 5, it says, Now Moses, this is them speaking, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? I get the picture of sort of a dark environment, kind of a dark setting. There was a, for some reason, there was, I don't know if it was hatred, uh, whatever it was, some bad attitudes that were coming through, and uh, Jesus, in his wisdom, dealt with them very wisely. And then, right after this scene, of course, he goes on to uh, release the woman after he had challenged those who were without sin to throw the first stone, and they just slowly walked out one by one. And then at the end, he says, he says, uh, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And then he goes on to say, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness and shall have the light of life. Jesus was in a mid of a, a midst of a sort of a dark, oppressive environment right there. Um, and, and then he proclaims himself as being the light of the world. And those who walk in him will have the light of life. I see a bit of a difference from that to a candle. Don't you? As we reflect the light of Jesus, him being the light of the world, um, and we reflect that light, we have certainly uh, much more than, than we have with our own candle. And so I'd like to just challenge us with, with that. And also, uh, as he says there in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, near the end of verse 16, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, thinking of us reflecting the light of Jesus, not from us, it's not my light, my little candle is only just a little candle, but if we reflect the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ, certainly um, it's beyond me, it's beyond myself to, to, uh, to reflect that light, but only as we reflect uh, that light of Jesus and are able to, uh, to glorify God or turn the glory back to God. So I guess I'd like to challenge us all with this as we think of God's plan for me, especially you, Kevin, Linda, as you go from here, I think we have some good instructions, some good guidance in God's word. Well, what is God's will for my life, and where do we go from here? And then also the challenge to be a uh, salt and light to, uh, to the world, to those around us. Let's just stand for a prayer, and then I'll turn, turn time back to Lester and uh, Kevin and Linda. Shall we stand for prayer?
Father, we thank you for this occasion. Thank you especially for your blessings on us that you have brought us this far, and especially for the commitment from Kevin and Linda and your blessing on their lives. May you continue to direct them, and we pray, Lord, that they would be able to um, sense your will for their lives and be able to go from here being salt and light as you had commanded us to. So we pray your continued blessing on the service and uh, bless uh, Lester as he officiates. May whatever's said and done may bring honor and glory to your name. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, and I'll turn time back to Lester.